In this episode of Common Sense Amia, we'll be talking to a mom, an owner of a long-running yoga business, and an author. They all happen to be the same person. Author of Weed Mom, the can of curious woman's guide to healthier relaxation, happier parenting, and chilling the F out. Our guest today is the winner of the best cannabis book in the 2021 Women in Cannabis Expo. Congratulations to you. You did it. Uh, Daniel Simone Brand, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Common Sense of Mia. Oh, thank you so much, Will. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, no, it's, it's all my pleasure. I've uh, been introduced to so many people through uh diana from your highness podcast she's just basically booked a whole season for me she's like here meet all these people they're all great (laughs) and they all are great (laughs) she knows a lot of people i'm i'm really grateful to know her she's networked to the teeth so i want to start (laughs) off easy i want to talk about the upper valley of new hampshire okay you can learn a lot about a person by where they dined were you more of a louis louis fan or did you go to molly's balloon (laughs) <laughs> that's hilarious um molly's actually that was my favorite spot um also the indian place ah yeah. well i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to pull the curtain back but louis louis and molly's was basically the same restaurant owned by the same family uh they also had a third one a steakhouse somewhere i can't remember the name of it um you're probably wondering how the hell so I'm calling you from Vermont. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we're just up the road from the Upper Valley, just up the road from Dartmouth, where you went to school. Um, I also That's went to right. school in the Upper Valley. I went to high school in the Upper Valley before I, I moved over the border to to New, uh, to Vermont. Um, so you've lived all over the place. You've called Hawaii home, uh, San Diego. You're currently in Boise, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. And some other places in between Washington, D.C. for a while. Actually, I went over the border and lived in Norwich, Vermont for a little bit, too, which was. Oh, my goodness. Great. What the hell brought you over here? Why were you in the Upper Valley? (laughs) Well, okay, so little Hawaii girl, um, I thought I loved cold weather and everything New England. (laughs) I actually wrote in my high school. Yeah, I wrote in my high school yearbook that cold weather was one of my passions and everybody laughs at me now because I've lived in cold places and they're like, no, this is not your passion. (laughs) No, it is not. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, boy, were you wrong. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, well, grass is greener, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And the thing about the Upper Valley and and kind of even all the way up to Burlington where where I'm at is that it's, it's like the opposite of Alaska. There comes a point in the late fall where the sun just kind of goes away and doesn't come back until the middle of or late May, basically. Um, so yeah, the, the, you know, the, the allure of skiing in the East and learning how to uh, ice skate down a mountain. Uh, I could, I could see that being attractive from Hawaii. Well, we were, we we're happy to have you here, even if it was just for a, a short period of time. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget those vitamin D supplements. Oh my God. And all my ring lights. <laughs> They're always That's right. on. That's right. Um, yoga seems to be a pretty dominant force in your life. Just scrolling through LinkedIn and, and hearing you interviewed um, on past podcasts. Uh, can you talk a little bit about where yoga came from? Why it's so uh, important to you? So actually, I found it in my first year at Dartmouth as a, you know, as a, you know, like I said, little Hawaii girl and just feeling pretty lost and pretty, um, you know, freezing, freezing my butt off. Um, yeah. And, you know, culturally just not feeling like I fit into um, to Dartmouth. 
to be honest. Um, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of privilege. I just sort of, you know, happened to get in and happened to get a scholarship. And I was actually, you know, I felt sort of out of place there. Like, gosh, yeah. do I really belong? And, you know, all those things that many of us are thinking about at that period of time, you know, 17, sure. 18 years old, trying to figure ourselves out. Fish out of water. <laughs> yeah. A totally. fish out of water at an Ivy League school on the other side of the planet from where you grew up. I would say that's, you know, not, Absolutely. not that surprising. Not that surprising. So, you know, yoga felt like coming home, honestly. The first time I went to a yoga class in Hanover, it was this like candlelit place full of blankets and like coziness. And and I was just like, oh, gosh, I'm home. I'm breathing. I feel like alive. <laughs> um, and so it just from there, I, you know, I fell in love with it and continued and I actually did all my training at Kripalu, which is up in Massachusetts. Sure. Down <laughs> from where you yeah, are. Yeah. Um, and Older from where you are. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely like my 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 yogic roots are pretty New England based. And I feel yeah. like, yeah, I feel like a strong pull there. And honestly, it's just been this practice that has been an anchor in my life, you know, through moving a billion times and yeah. changing careers a few times and having kids and having, you know, just sort of the, the uh, contemporary life that includes a lot of change. Yoga has really anchored me through all of that. And it's not just the physical practice, but it's, you know, the mental practice, the discipline, the mindfulness, the breathing, you know, coming back to that practice really consistently is something that, you know, has given me immeasurable benefit. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's for sure, like one of those skills that, as you said, like you bounced from place to place. And it's, it's one of those skills that, you know, if you land in a new place, and you put in a little bit of, you know, legwork to embed yourself in the community, you can, you know, teach yoga pretty much anywhere, even obviously even remotely. But was there a time when you, when you knew you kind of wanted to um, maybe turn it into a profession? Like was, yeah, was there a sort of a, yeah, a yeah, that moment, that, went off? yeah. <laughs> that moment, funny enough, was after I finished grad school for something else uh -huh. <laughs> for International Peace and Conflict Resolution in D.C. And I had started oh, we need that a, in the world. <laughs> yes, we do. And I had started a, a club in my graduate school at American University in D.C. Um, just mm -hmm. to practice together, a collective. I called it the Yoga Collective because I wanted to practice. I couldn't afford classes <laughs> at the time. And I just wanted a community. And so, you know, we we gathered weekly and I ended up kind of guiding or leading that community. And then once I graduated from my master's program and was working in the field of international conflict resolution, working in policy, working in academia, feeling like really internally stressed and yeah, pulled yeah. in different directions. And like the field itself was very conflictual. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, Definitely. yoga. Yeah, right. So yoga just like pulled me in and I started teaching to my, you know, first my fellow students and then professors started coming. And then I started teaching in workplaces all around DC. And honestly, I did not expect it. I thought like, I'm going to be in policy. I'm going to be an academic. This is my path. And yoga just opened itself up to me. People kept literally calling me and saying, can you come teach a class here? Can you go over there and teach them about mindfulness? And, you know, so it just kind of unfolded for me and I found it much more fulfilling than what I had been doing, um, even though, you know, like it's so important. People need to work on policy and research and academia and all these things. But, you know, I wanted to support them, those peacemakers and peace builders in their own, you know, personal and internal peace. That's interesting that you found found that. And this is something I love to talk. Um, I did a podcast a while ago with you know, a client of mine who runs a business. And he said this thing that was just so at the time it, 
it hit me hard. But the more I think about it, the more it just rings true, which was like, you know, people say, do what you love. You won't work a day in your life, but no, do what you are good at. And then maybe try to incorporate the thing that you love. So Mm -hmm. you went into this thing thinking you were going to be a policymaker, maybe be a bureaucrat or an elected official, whatever, you know, like try to enact policy. Um, But you found that actually this thing that you were already good at, um, you could apply to and, and hopefully, you know, win in both ways. You're, you're, you know, you're building a business, teaching yoga, but maybe you're in, you know, improving the lives of those bureaucrats. You're like helping them create better policy. Um, I hope they're so. not as stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put it on you. I'll, you take it <laughs> I hope so. I ended up working with a lot of um, medical policy folks actually in DC and um, you know, like Medicaid, analysts and things like that. And those people are stressed AF. So (laughs) I was, I was happy to bring just like, you know, an hour of calm, an hour of, you know, setting, setting aside all the to do's, all the busyness. And, you know, I kind of felt like a washing machine sometimes, like people would come in like, well, because people would come into my class, like full of their stress and full of their thoughts and full of their, you know, their anxieties and their body all tense. And I just, you know, and in the class, we just sort of scrub Mm -hmm. that out slowly. Rinse and repeat. You know, rinse and repeat. But then of yeah, course yeah. it piles back on as soon as they get out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But in if you can't walk, you know, like if you're just building on top of it, it's you know, and it never gets washed away, you know, these people totally. aren't gonna have productive careers or for sure not happy lives. Um, so I mean, it kind of sounds like your yoga business almost figured itself out in a lot of ways, just in terms of like how you marketed yourself. Can you talk a little bit more about that and building it in the early days? Like you, you know, you had some word of mouth, you were getting referrals from, you know, these other, other places. Like how did you, how did you, you know, kind of capitalize on that? How did you snowball that into something that you felt like was um, maybe a career? Yeah. You know, this was like, first of all, I have never been a marketer. And now that I have a book out, it's like (laughs) such, I am a fish out of water in the marketing space. Um, I'm doing my best. It's fun. It's interesting, but I, I honestly, I'm I'm definitely going to ask you about how you marketed your book. So like, we're going to, we're going to get, I want (laughs) to, you know, this, this trajectory of kind of like building a business, learning how to market yourself there. And then, you know, doing something completely different and then applying what you've learned and maybe like the good and the bad to that. We're, we're going to get there. I think, I think it's fascinating, but that's okay. You're the first interviewer who's actually gone to this depth with me about, you know, mm-hmm. my yoga and my sort of my, my life before the book. Um, so I appreciate that. It's, it's actually kind of interesting to think about sort of how, you know, the narrative of our lives, How'd you right? get how here? we got there, gotta, how we get yeah, here. You, you got to look in the mirror and see where you came from or else you, you're just going to keep, you know, I, I don't want to paint it negatively, but you're going to keep making the same mistakes or you're going to keep making, you know, you're not going to evolve. So, you know, I think it's fascinating to see how a person evolves from, you know, a, a fish out of water kid who's trying to start a yoga business into where you're at now, which is, you know, a, an award-winning author. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. So, you know, honestly, the way that I, I built that business was word of mouth, like you said, and the more yeah. I taught, the more people asked me to teach. Um, and then of course I had, I think that what helped was communications and blogging as well, having a theme to my classes that actually like unified the whole week worth of classes mm-hmm. that I was teaching, whether that what was, years you know, are we talking? So like, what kind of, I mean, you're talking about your, obviously you had a website, you were blogging, but what other kind of platforms existed at that point that you felt you fit on? 
So 2005 is when I graduated from grad school and I started teaching yoga and earnestly probably 2006. And then I did that until, um, let's see, until we left in 2012, I taught full time. And so, yeah, it was basically just like a, like, like a junky little website. It wasn't, yeah. you know, I wasn't connected to anything big. I don't think it was even, it was even, you know, a video blog or anything like that. It was just my website with, the, the theme that I would be doing that week. And then my email list, of course, I had an email list because yeah. you know, all these different workplace classes I was doing, I had to coordinate with, you know, everyone in the class and communicate about schedules and all that stuff. So, you know, having, I think having a theme really does help as a, as a yoga teacher, something that, you know, unifies message that you're bringing. Cause it's not just about moving your body and breathing deeply. Like those are great and important things. And if that's all you get out of it, fine, wonderful. But, you know, there's, there's the cultivation of, you know, a, um, the, of a yogic philosophy, right? A, an approach to life, a way of approaching oneself and others and the world, recognizing the light within, recognizing the light within other people, um, all beings. So, you know, these are themes that I want to connect and I want to bring it to the class as well as like help encourage people to think about that in their everyday lives. So I think that sort of, you know, kind of uh, unity of messaging is really, really helpful. Okay. This is interesting to me. So like, yeah. this is like a huge stressor for me. And luckily, like I've grown out of having to like manage the day to day of like creation of con, you know, I, I, we're creating content right now, but you know, I have a team now that is able to write blogs, you know, they manage our email list, they do all this, but the, the emotion, uh, just the brain power that I'd have to put into. And now my team has to put into like figuring out, okay. And, and usually we do this bi-weekly sort of thing, but like, what is the, what is the theme of this week or this month? You know, what service are we looking or like what, you know, and, and obviously we're cannabis. So we're trying to apply um, this theory of just constantly churning out content and figuring out different angles to approach a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um and talk to multiple segments of segments of audiences is like drove me crazy. So I'm curious if was that the approach you took? Like, here's the theme of when you say theme, you mean like this month we're focused on vinyasa or like whatever, and then kind of figuring out how to pull in maybe some of the social aspects of what you do, like the spiritual aspects of what you do. And then obviously like the, the health benefits of what you do. I'm curious how, yeah, exactly. So, you know, for instance, um, a theme in yoga could be um, heart opening, which goes along with the physical action of backbends, right? So you can teach a series. I, I would, I, if, if I were doing that for a week, I would teach a series that really worked up, you know, really gradually to a bigger backbend, right? You know, with the option of getting to maybe wheel pose or something like that. All throughout, there would be, you know, either quotes or poetry or just like little bits that would encourage people to think about the emotional aspects of heart opening, right? As well as mm -hmm. the physical aspects, you know, so you, you know, kind of break down the anatomy and physiology, and then you talk about sort of the emotional kind of correlation to that. So that would be an example of a theme where I'd, you know, then bring in, you know, thoughts from other teachers, quotes, poems, ideas that sort of all feed that. Does that make Interesting. sense? Yeah, yeah no, def de absolutely. It, it, you know, you have, it's hard to kind of pop your own bubble and, and understand not only are there do I, as a business owner, have to be able to communicate lots of similar things in many different ways, but I also now need to like get that message out there and make sure it's understood and not like kind of beating a dead horse, so to speak. 
Um, yes. Well, in cannabis, I, I feel that very strongly because we do have to repeat ourselves a lot. There's yeah. still a lot of folks who don't know, you know, some of these basic things. Um, so yeah, finding out, finding new ways or new media to talk about similar topics or similar subjects. I think that's something we're all looking for. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> now I, I'm curious. So like you were creating content for your blog, you know, back in 2005, all the way through, you know, you, you were, you were building content, um, written content. Where did actual authorship come from? How did you know that maybe being a writer exercising this particular skill was something you wanted to, to go to investigate more? Well, that's another thing that's been with me for actually a really long time, probably longer than yoga. Um, as a little kid, in addition to wanting to be a female Indiana Jones, I also wanted to be a writer. <laughs> Great. I also <laughs> wanted to be a female Indiana Jones. Excellent. There should be more. <laughs> Um, so, you know, and I, I remember writing my first, like very, very long winded short story in fourth grade and reading it in front of the class and my teacher encouraging me and also saying, this is getting a bit long after maybe 20 yeah. minutes. So, That's so funny. <laughs> so it was, it was with me for a long time. I wrote for, you know, our literary magazine in high school. I wrote for a newspaper in college. And then my first job out of college was as an editor, quote unquote, for a.com in the new boom. This was the year 2000. I moved to San Francisco after graduating from Dartmouth and got a job as a, an editor in a.com. It was um, a little bit of writing, a lot of input and like, you know, data entry sort of thing. So I didn't enjoy that too much. But the idea being that uh, writing, editing, working with words, working with language. And I went to France for my senior year of high school. Uh, we didn't, we glossed over that, but, you know, working with words and language has always been of interest to me, of deep interest to me. Um, and, you know, my different jobs, I've woven it, I've woven it through, whether it was in academia and policy, mm -hmm. of course, tons of writing, or just as a yoga teacher, I found a way to, you know, to, to keep that muscle alive. And then, you know, also I will say that traveling extensively in my early 20s through Southeast Asia and some other places, some of that alone um, really facilitated my sort of like autobiographical writing, the sense of like, I'm going through experiences, writing about them, interacting, you know, processing that through text and word. Um, yeah. So yeah, and all that kind of comes together in my book, because there's that like narrative personal element to it and the reported side of it. Totally. Yeah. So before we get to the book specifically, I, I do want to talk about kind of um, because it's not like you've left your yoga business behind and, you know, just started a whole new chapter. You've, you're still doing it. And also you've morphed in this, you know, this new aspect of writing a little long form writing. Um, was there not, obviously you had kids, so I'm sure that impacted writing this particular book, but was there, did you feel that there was a book in you? Like, for a while before this one happened? Oh my gosh, you're teasing out all these things. Okay, so yes, I wrote an entire book before I wrote this book. <laughs> ah, so it I have is... a couple friends who are authors and yeah. like, it's, I don't know why, but it's a, it's a similar thread I, I find between all of them, which is like, not the skill of actually writing, but, you know, which is a skill, like for sure being able to like, you know, syntax and, and coherent thoughts and grammar, like all that stuff's great, <laughs> but writing a book is not necessarily that <laughs> that's mm -hmm. the job for the editor, but writing a book is, is like a whole thing. And usually these, that's not unusual that you wrote a book before you wrote your book. I feel like at yeah. least more than half of the people I've talked to have, have done that. 
Um, or at least totally. then like, I have an outline for this book and that book never gets written. <laughs> they write the book they're supposed to write. I have an entire manuscript, an entire book proposal. <laughs> I, I worked, you know, really hard trying to get an agent, but you know, it taught me how to write the second book. So, you know, I don't regret it. Um, it's actually it, my first book, which is not a book, it's just a manuscript, is sure. a, a memoir about leaving Washington, D.C. with um, our two-year-old son. And I was pregnant with our daughter. We moved to Colorado, bought 36 acres um, in a very remote place and attempted to homestead and grow all our own everything. Yeah. Um, and we failed spectacularly. So that's mm. that was that story. Why did you <laughs> fail? I mean, I, I can imagine why. Like, that sounds like a nightmare to me. Uh-huh. Uh, I am very much a four star diva. Like I, you know, I need to be pampered. Uh, I am definitely not picking something from a garden. Mm-mm. No, no, no. It's good that you know I live that. in Vermont. Like I am not, I'm a bad Vermont. It's such a crunchy place. <laughs> it's such a crunchy place. And I am not crunchy. Uh, I mean, I maybe a little bit, but uh, so, so I'm curious, like, w- was this just some, I mean, I'm married, so I, I, you know, I have these conver- these kind of pipe dream conversations with my wife. Like, what if we lived in Sedona? You know, like yeah. those kinds of. How did that happen? <laughs> who you convinced know? who? <laughs> oh, it was all me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair. <laughs> I dragged my husband out of DC, and uh, you know, where he, he actually was was done with it too. But I think he enjoyed yeah, it's a tough place living. To be. It is, but he enjoyed it more than I did. I think that like, you know, it, it fed his intellect in a really, in you know, a way that was sustaining for a while. And for me, it was like, it fed my intellect and then it kind of drained me. Um, so yeah. I, yeah, we had, we had our two-year-old. We knew we were going to have a Sarah. We wanted to have a second kid. And I just felt like this is not the lifestyle I want to raise our kids in. This like super frenetic, urban, traffic filled, super, you know, a scheduled and expensive life. Right. Yep. Um, so, you know, I had, yeah, I had these fantasies of, don't we all right. Escape fantasies of some sort or yeah. another. And mine happened to coalesce around, uh, you know, environmentalism, growing food, um, you know, raising our ch- children in a non-materialistic environment. I think that was a big part of it. I saw just this like really insidious, you know, pull of advertising and TV and toys. And, you know, anytime I would just go to go to a store with my little son, I just felt like, you know, his brain is being shaped by all this stuff around him that I didn't, you know, I, yeah. So I wanted to control more of the influences. I'm a more mature parent now. Like I get it. Like you can't control everything, you you know, um, but I had this sort of like purity ideal, I guess, of like how your intentions were right on. Like it's, but there's also the reality of like, you know, uh, living as if you're in the 1800s, you know what I mean? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And we just weren't prepared for that. So the elevation, you know, 7,000 feet, bad choice if you want to grow most of your own food. (laughs) Yeah, or if you want to be pregnant, right? (laughs) Or if you want to be pregnant and be able to breathe at the same time. Yeah. Yep. Um, So there's that. And it was just so isolating. I think the main thing that that drove us away is that we, we realized we needed community. Um, and you know, that's something that I think it's a, it's a theme of my life is searching for that place and that home and that group of people that feels really, you know, like home. And I think that's just something that is a theme of my life. And I've always kind of played with. I can totally relate to that and not feeling like, yeah, absolutely. And maybe even a little bit of the opposite of that. Well, for, for me, that, that feeling is, I'm going to be my own shrink. That feeling is derived from 
maybe never feeling or never feeling like I was, uh, I belonged, right? Like I never felt like I was quite part of this team. Like I was friends with everybody in high school as opposed to like my one click, you know what I mean? Like I was a little too all over the place and wasn't never too sure where I fit in. And I think like, if you can relate to that, being like, okay, well, I'll make my own click, you know, like I'll start a family and we'll, you know, we'll live on this commune. You will, we'll, we'll be homesteaders. That makes total sense for me. For me, it was starting a company. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, which is the same thing, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to make my own Island. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to live on my own Island and I can, you know, whoever I want to come in and I can <laughs> exactly. hire them and they can work here and uh, I'll have, this is something I can control. Um, I think I probably have come to the same conclusion that you did with homesteading, which is there is no control. You're fucked either way. <laughs> like it doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> yeah, here, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're still. I've learned you're, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're still a little piece of carbon on a rock floating, you know, hurtling through space. Like you're, you don't have control. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't. But you know, community and and doing something that you're good at and that you love, like you mentioned earlier, c- goes a long way. I think for like human satisfaction and happiness but you know yeah we're we are ultimately still the human condition aren't we yeah 100 percent um what was the straw that broke the camel's back with the homestead oh god um okay like so- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i like i said i was pregnant um drove home this long 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 way up the mountain you know Swerve, you know, the, like the, the sheer cliffs on one side, yeah. the tiny, you know, tiny rows of thinking like, oh, my gosh, winter is coming. And oh, my gosh, I'm pregnant. I got to our house. My husband didn't see the car come up the driveway, thought it was a bear in the garage because there were gun on literally you. everywhere in that. Ah! Yep. <laughs> 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 I mean, he keeps holding the gun, came to the garage here I am pulling our sleeping two-year-old out right. and we're like, what the hell are we doing? That's a breaking point. I'm sure you both had this, like, I'm sure you were both like, that's it. We're like, we're out. <laughs> that well was done. a fun experiment. <laughs> I need a target so at Starbucks now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and I still have, I still have some of those ideals, but it's just, it's more tempered now. I get like, I get, you need, you need a village. You it's, it takes, it's the rare person or family who can just do it all alone. And especially if you don't have that background, if you come from the city, the suburbs, you know, places of comfort. (laughs) It's not like you were a boy scout growing up. (laughs) No. I was, I was, I was a boy scout growing up and still count me out, count me out. Um, well, at least, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's good to know yourself. For sure. I mean, maybe in my 20, maybe when I was, you know, the age that you were, I maybe would have thought about it. But even, you know, the the small house, the tiny house thing, like maybe was a 30 second conversation back when those things were trendy, you know, like that right. was a 10 second conversation my wife and I had. Well, should we just get no, like we're both giant people. There's no way. Um, I'm six, three and I weigh, you know, almost 300 pounds. There's, there's not a chance, not, not a chance. Um, Doesn't sound fun. I mean, there are so many interesting like ways of living these days and it is appealing absolutely to, to think about sure. like, Yeah. Maybe not the tiny home, but the, your geodesic dome. Cool. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. All cool. Uh, th- you know what? I bet. Do you still own the property? No. 
I was going to say, it's nice maybe to like go there like for a weekend or a week at a time, you know, like to, to know it's there and at least be able to like visit it, but not have to worry about your husband thinking you're a, a bear. We sold it to some um, apocalyptic preppers. So I'm sure they're, I'm Perfect. sure they're happy. <laughs> there's, there's no shortage of them in Colorado. <laughs> I'm sure they're very happy up there. <laughs> That's where they all go. Um, I've heard in past interviews, cannabis wasn't the biggest part of your life. You, you know, had a pretty normal relationship with it growing up, gave it a try. Meh. Can you talk a little bit about that and why the 180? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a total 180. And I do describe it in the first chapter of the book. Um, you know, for people who, who haven't read it, I talk about dropping my husband off at, um, rehab first. Um, that's in the very first chapter and he had to stop consuming cannabis. So that's a very interesting, strange part of our story. I went from, like you said, having a pretty like, you know, indifferent relationship with it growing up to meeting and falling love, falling in love with somebody who was a big stoner at the time. Um, and not really loving that aspect of him, but also feeling like, okay, it's just part of who he is. He's creative. He's funny. He's whatever, like weed is part of that. Um, but you know, over time we got married kind of young, you know, I was 24. Um, and over time, you know, moved, went to grad school, started our lives, I, I started to notice that he was leaning on it a lot. You know, he was using cannabis for for mental health in a way that um, I think can be really adaptive and healthy. And it can also, you know, turn on, on a person if they're not also using a wide array of other tools, right, of other yeah. ways to, to be healthy. You know, talk therapy. In some cases, people do need medication in addition to cannabis, um, you know, all sorts of different things. So because of that, I just thought, you know, it's, it's not that healthy. It's not that helpful. I didn't think it was a wellness tool. Like a wellness tool was the furthest from my mind. Right? Yeah, crutch. yeah. Yeah. Crutch is what I thought. Exactly. Um, and even, you know, even in those years, like I would occasionally smoke with my husband, but again, I didn't have a relationship with the plant and I didn't understand it. I didn't know why, you know, why am I like giggly and happy sometimes yeah. or like exhausted and just want to go to sleep other times? You know, yeah. what, what is this substance? It doesn't make sense to me. Of course, I didn't get terpenes. I didn't get cannabinoids. I didn't get, you know, like modes of delivery, all those things. Um, and so, you know, I went from really being indifferent to starting to dislike the plant. And by the time he, my husband decided he needed to quit cannabis altogether and he wanted to go to a residential program just to like, you know, recalibrate, be away from yeah. his routines and all that stuff, um, you know, have intensive therapy, all those things. Uh, I was at the same time transitioning in my career to freelance writing. So we've talked about, you know, I came from my, from grad school and academia and went through health and wellness and yoga. And then freelance writing was really um, around 2016, 2017. I was starting to get into it. And lo and behold, everybody wanted to learn about cannabis as they yeah. still do. Right. Um, so yeah. I was just finding, I was finding a call for pitches from lots of editors, like, you know, basic stuff, explain your CBD and THC or cultural stuff, you know, parents and cannabis. And that's something that I eventually gravitated towards. Of course, I think my very first freelance article on cannabis was talking to parents actually. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I sort of entered in that way and I continued, but, you know, so I, I started learning about cannabis before I even cared that much about it, or actually when I kind of didn't like it, but the truth is I fell in love because it's interesting, you know, yeah. it really yeah. is. Yeah. 
bringing together all these different things, science and, and the, you know, the health and wellness and self-care piece that yoga brings. Um, of course, you know, business, policy, social justice, the environment, all these things that I actually really care about. Um, and then Legal Weed was coming to California. Uh, we voted in 2016 in that fateful election. And um, and then in uh, 2018, January is when our market opened. And I said, you know what? It's legal now. I'm an adult. My, I'm not pregnant. I'm not breastfeeding anymore. I'm going to give this a you know an adult try. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I tell that story in my book of just you know ordering low dose vape, feeling really cautious, not sure at all how I should proceed, and then you know t- taking a little bit, inhaling a little bit, and having a beautiful experience and feeling like so. I came was home. this market research though? Were you like doing research for like? you know, all the freelance writing you were doing, or was it a combination of maybe that, but also like this thing's legal now. I think, you know, I'm not a big fan of wine, like whatever, what, whatever people lean on to sort of wind down their day or wind up their day, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't in your bag. You know, it was like a simultaneous thing. I think, you know, learning about it from this intellectual standpoint, you know, realizing it was accessible to me and that, you know, the stigmas were probably going to be lessening as legal cannabis was more available, sure. um, you know, and just, you got it. If you're writing about, for me, if I'm writing about something, I want to experience it. I am definitely a hands-on person. Um, and then also I'll say, I'll say this too, interviewing folks for those first couple of articles and realizing that it actually helps people in a lot of really real ways, healthy ways, adaptive ways, ways that, you know, like are different from what I was noticing with my husband. So that, you know, that gave me the sense of, okay, that that there's more to it. For sure. I think like anything, like anything and pretty much everything uh, consumable, like there's an opportunity for it to be exploited by, you know, by people for good or bad reasons. You know, I guess if it's being exploited, it's bad, but um, you can lean on food, whatever it is, food, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, exercise, you know, even good things too. Um, all these things can, uh, in excess, not be great for you, but if, um, you know, planned and, and with some thought, like these are, these are all normal things that can actually help you, especially obviously. Obviously. And, you know, I, I wish I had understood that earlier. Like I really did not get it as a health and wellness tool until I started interviewing other women, actually lots of women telling me how much it helped them with, you know, with sleep, with pain, with mood, with anxiety, with, you know, parenting, the stresses of parenting and, and also just like the, the tapping into the fun parts of parenting too. Like it's not just taking away the bad, but also, sure. you know, enhancing the way that, that we're able to be present with our kids. So, you know, all those things really did interest me. They, they piqued my interest. And then when I had my first experience and I realized, okay, first of all, this is a dose dependent experience. I'm not going to, you know, take a small puff of this vape pen and then get so insanely high that I can't think or do anything. It's like, right. You know, just understanding, okay, like how to self-administer, how to calibrate, how to, you know, how to, how to dose in a, in a sane way. It's just, it made all the difference to me. I, I, I can imagine. Um, so going back to some of the, the, so cannabis is starting to emerge into your life a little with a little more self-acceptance than uh, maybe it had in the past. You're starting to do this freelance thing. You're getting more offers to do specifically articles specifically about cannabis. How fucked up 
has dare made this country? Oh my God. And, and <laughs> That's a great question. Asking, <laughs> here's what I'm asking is because you've interviewed all these people. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, again, we'll get to, we'll get to the specifics of the book in a moment, but you wrote this whole book about being a, a you know, a can of mom. Um, we're raised by, we're, we're a, a generation of dare kids raised by a generation of baby boomers who are probably lar- more, negatively impacted by you know nixon than we were by nancy reagan but still like Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. this stuff was in our our psyche since we were you know little babies so i'm curious like in going through this article and i think there may be a little bit of self-reflection on that too like you know coming out of the canamom closet so to speak um i'm curious kind of what your take on and and you've got some history doing this like you've been talking to people since 2016 on this like how screwed up are we and how much work is left to be done (laughs) um i'd say very (laughs) we're pretty screwed up um you know here's an interesting thing i i wrote this book thinking that mainstream kind of curious moms might be most interested in it um and there are many of those readers, but what I found more is that existing can of moms who felt, who knew the plant was helping them, but felt so much shame and stigma because of the way we were raised around, yep. you know, around the plant, um, were able to like feel more empowered, more confident in their choices after reading the book. And that's the majority of people that I hear from. Not so much, hey, I, I tried cannabis for the first time after reading your book. More, you know, this is something that helps me. And I've been in the closet about it for a long time. Now I started to talk to my, you know, whatever, spouse, parents, children, you know, et cetera. So, you know, I think that even among people, basically the stigma is so strong that even among people who know there's benefit from the plant, there is still that, that shame and that hiding. And some of that obviously is if you're in a prohib state, you're going to hide just to protect yourself and to protect your, your children and your, you know, custody situation and all those things. Um, But, you know, I also do find, um, a lot of room for hope. I do think that we're changing our attitudes, you know, as a whole mainstream, you know, if you look at Gallup polls, first of all, most people think that cannabis should be legal, right? Yep. Um, yep. And most people think that its benefits are, you know, a majority think that its benefits are more positive than negative on, you know, on consumers. So I think those are really good indications, but when it, you know, like the smell is very stigmatized, right? The smell of cannabis smoke still. Um, someone showing up to a, you know, an event or a kid's event smelling loud, that's not so okay, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of room to grow. Um, and certainly a lot of room for for policy to catch up when it comes to to, well, first of all, everywhere, everything, expunge, free the people, you know, legalize, decriminalize, like all those things still need to happen. But but I do think that we're we're in a state of progress right now when it comes to the plant. I'm, I'm encouraged. Good. You started. You. I mean, your journey started kind. You know, in some might argue the most legal of states. You know, uh, California's had a medical program since like '98 or something like that. '86. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and now you live in Idaho, which is not legal for sure. You know, highly conservative and in. in at least it's political, you know, views of cannabis. How do you balance that? Um, yeah, don't tell anybody I live in Idaho. I'm just kidding. Oh <laughs> I'm we'll kidding. beep it out. I'm kidding. Um, you know, it's an interesting place to be. Like I 
wrote the book proposal while living in San Diego for for Weed Mom and then did not get the deal until we moved here. And I had no idea I was going to get the book deal. Like, you know, as you know, you've talked to other authors, like it's never a given. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I found myself in an odd situation of having moved, just moved to a prohibition state, writing a book about cannabis. And then of course the pandemic started like right after I got the book deal. So um, it was a really odd and interesting time. Um, Idaho is an interesting place in regards to cannabis. There is a medical legalized movement, you know, a signature gathering movement that I've been a part of the whole time I've been here. It was really hard to get signatures during the pandemic. Obviously um, we didn't meet the requirements to get it on the ballot this year. And um, there isn't even a, you know, adult use movement here yet. It's just medical at this point. Or th there's also a, de there was a decriminalized petition that was just about um, making it legal for folks to go across the border to Oregon, which they do en masse <laughs> um, and drive it back. So, um, you know, I, in Oregon. yeah, there's, yeah, there's enough to go around. Help them out. Help them out. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and so like, I, I am cautious when I meet new people on the ground, obviously, especially if, if connected to my kid's school, sure. but the word tends to get out eventually, you know, our, our names are, are, you know, if, you, if someone Googles your name these days, they can find information about you right away. So I find that the conversation is still happening even here. It's just, it's less like front and center, but it, it's happening. For instance, um, Last week, I taught yoga at a benefit for my kids' school that was um, at the Idaho Shakespeare Festival, actually. And it was a um, a wine tasting, a chocolate tasting, and a yoga event. And I didn't partake in, in the wine tasting because I don't really enjoy alcohol that much anymore. Um, but, you know, while the other moms were drinking and we were all chatting, we just had the yoga practice and everybody was relaxed. Cannabis came up in the conversation at least three or four times, different moments, different people, uh, you know, in the evening. And I realized that even in a place like Idaho, even in a place, you know, of very conservative outward politics, there is interest, there's more openness, you know, there are easier ways to have the conversation too. Like I always start talking about CBD <laughs> before. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so it's, yeah, it, it's a very, and you know, Idaho is not forever home for us, just like uh you know we're we're rolling stones i guess that's cool yeah <laughs> so let's talk about the book yeah um weed mom where did the inspiration hit for the book that was not an intended pun <laughs> where did it hit yeah weed is full of the great puns huh so um yeah, yeah. I, I, and and as a, a cannabis marketer <laughs> let me tell you like i hear do them you hate all. them i hate them and I hear them all and they are all used professionally and none of them are good. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't avoid it though. You just got to embrace it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, at this point I've, I've, you know, I, I don't have control. I have no control. So bring people on the are gonna weed. Yep. People are going <laughs> to weed. Weed punters are going to weed pun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So you, you, you'd kind of been reintroduced to cannabis at this point. Um, you're a mom, you know, you became a mom. How did, again, like how did the inspiration for this outline before it was a book, where did it come yeah. from? So it came because I was primarily freelancing about cannabis and parenting, but separately. I was primarily having, you know, I had two beats 
And um, once in a while, I would be asked to write some kind of crossover, like talking to kids about cannabis or precautions to take if you're a parent who consumes, you know, is it okay to be a parent who consumes just, you know, very basic stuff like that. And I was in a writer's group in San Diego, I was living in San Diego at the time. And um, my writer's group said, first of all, they started coming to me with all of their questions and sending, <laughs> sending their friends and their, you know, yeah, you <laughs> their network to me for, you know, for answering questions. People started asking me to go to the dispensary with them. People started asking me to, you know, recommend a strain for XYZ, of course, yeah. you know, that's how it goes. Um, and I just realized, okay, there's hunger for this information, particularly among moms, <laughs> so like, funny. Some of them, you know, were smokers back in college and then gave it up because they were supposed to because they became an adult and a parent and all that. Um, some people never stopped, but they didn't have any familiarity with the legal marketplace. And they, you know, wanted to know about this like plethora of new products and offerings and all that stuff. And then some people were just struggling with the, with the stigma. So, you know, I just realized there's a real need for this. People want this information. And specifically, I knew that there wasn't a book targeted to moms like in this moment and it's not just about like how to consume like I wanted to really cover like the cultural background of this moment like everything's changing laws are changing and attitudes are changing albeit somewhat more slowly in some cases than we want um yeah. and so I just wanted to address that like how do we talk about this now that it's okay sort of <laughs> so the topic of fear and shame like those are things that <clears throat> I love talking about on this podcast because it's, it's a big part, you know, we look at it through the lens of entrepreneurship and, you know, taking chances and, mm -hmm. um, you know, learning how to not listen to the voices in your head that tell you, you know, you suck or you shouldn't do the thing that, you know, your heart wants you to do. Um, mm -hmm. This exists in every facet of our lives, especially parenthood, I would imagine. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm kind of wondering, like, was there any anxiety in writing this book? And let me clarify that. I don't mean like I've got this deadline or I need to finish this chapter or whatever, whatever. But something that always comes up in almost every conversation is this thing, imposter syndrome. So mm -hmm. like feeling like I'm a fake authority in this industry that I'm in or like, should I actually be like, why are these people listening to me? That sort of thing. And I know that this probably exists in an, to an exponential level uh, when it comes to like the industry of parenthood or however you want to define that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm kind of curious about this. So let me be even a little more specific. Some my brothers are, I don't have kids, but my, both my brothers are parents and, you know, one of my, my younger brother is, you know, he's like, he's like the internet makes me feel like a shitty parent constantly. Mm -hmm because I'm on these Facebook groups or whatever, and everybody is an expert every, and, and, you know, and there's toxicity sometimes in these parent groups because they're, you know, telling another parent how stupid their, their methods are or whatever. I'm curious if this is something that you can relate to and whether or not how you defeated that. So you are a parent, you are a writer, you are, mm -hmm. you know, a, mm -hmm. an expert in your field. Um, you wrote a book. Um, how do you deal with kind of that whole thing? Oh my gosh, that is such a great question. And not one that I've ever been asked. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so let me think, you know, 
I am writing about parenting and yet I'm not, I'm not an expert. I don't have a methodology. I don't have, you know, like a, a PhD in, in counseling psychology and, you know, child psychology or any of that stuff. And I'm not, okay. So I think that the philosophy behind the book, the way that I, that I come to terms with that is that the philosophy behind the book is empowerment. What works for you? Like I want women, moms in particular, to truly be able to consider what works for me and my family, not what's what does society expect of me, what you know, what are all of the responsibilities in my life, but like what actually really works for for me and 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 you know, in terms of my own cannabis consumption, in terms of my self-care, my ability to care for my family, all these different things. And I I just I feel like I feel like not positing myself as someone with a method, but positing myself as someone who wants to cheerlead and empower you to figure out in your way. I think that's how I get around that. And of course I have a perspective. My perspective is diversity, inclusiveness, progressiveness, you know, like really being the kind of parent that shows up emotionally for your kids, you know, is present is, um, you know, not punitive, but like creates a collaborative environment. Those things are important to me. And I think I show that throughout my book. But my my approach, I guess, is more modeling and seeing how I do it instead of saying this is how you should. That's interesting. It, 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 this isn't uh, a um, a guide so much as it is a reflection. That's so interesting. I, th- I think it is both, but it's not a guide in a prescriptive way. It's a guide in a like more philosophical way, I guess, mm-hmm. like, you know, and that sort of larger project to become self-empowered to, you know, be a, you know, a happy, healthy, self-realized parent, because, you know, I think that's imperative for our world. Like the the, the more we as parents can actually show up for ourselves and for our kids you know, the better world we're going to have. We're going to just have kids who who are emotionally more intelligent, who are more kind, who understand themselves better. Um, so yeah, that's that's what it's all about to me. And it's not a method, but it is a it is a philosophy. I guess I'll, that's how I'll say it. Oh, great. I, I love that. What is yeah. sort of the biggest, if there's one takeaway you're hoping moms, dads, whoever's reading this book uh, leaves, you know, they close the book and they put it down and they're reflecting and they're like, what do you what do you hope that message is it's honestly that it's it's if you can you as a parent can find a way to your health happiness peace and ability to make an impact on the world then your parenting will absolutely be more connected more fun more collaborative and is better for the world it's better for our kids it's better for the future i think that's it it's like be as healthy as you can, can't use cannabis if that helps you. And, you know, parent your kids with love. Like it comes down to that for me. I'm a better parent with cannabis. Like I, I feel that. And, you know, it's, it's a little tricky, I think to say like cannabis makes me a better parent, but honestly it's inclusion in my life is a holistic application that does improve my life so much as a whole that my parenting is better. Yeah. I totally understand that. I have like five more questions, but I feel like that's actually a great place to end the podcast. Like that is such an important message. And I, I feel like, you know, people forget to, that they need to give themselves a break. And I don't mean like using cannabis, but they need to sometimes remember that I need to take a step back and 
just be a human on this planet. And sometimes cannabis helps with that. Um, I would especially think that being a parent, it's even harder to find that time to be reflective or to be patient or whatever it is, fill in the blank. Um, so that's a beautiful spot. Uh, I'll maybe leave some of these other questions for um, a follow-up interview. I'm curious yeah. though, if there is, another, you know, it's been two years, uh, you're still promoting this book. I imagine you'll never stop promoting this book. So um, what's next? What is there another book? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'm still freelancing. So, you know, I write for women in weed and kind of curious and a lot of these, you know, women's oriented, um, you know, Vanguard, uh, women's oriented. Can I Keisha later in the week? Media out there. Excellent. That's wonderful. Um, and I, I do freelance about some other things here and there. I am, I have kind of delved into the psychedelic space as well. And I've been writing for Double Blind on um, a variety of psychedelics. Um, so microdosing mama might be the next one. I don't know. That's fun. <laughs> but um, for now, I do feel like there is such a an intense learning curve for me when it comes to psychedelics and cannabis yeah. is really like the spot where I still feel like I have more to learn. Absolutely. But I also feel like I have a good grasp and I can understand all the new information that comes at me. Whereas with psychedelics, it's like, Whoa, try to trip domain. You know, what are we talking about? It's there's just yeah. a lot, a lot of terms, a lot of science that, you know, I'm still, I'm still familiarizing with. It's very scientific. Yeah. It's very it's a lot to wrap your head around. I mean, if you if you thought cannabinoids were were complex, way do you meet psychedelics? Oh yeah. Um, Daniel Simone Brand, you've been an absolute pleasure to speak with. We will for sure put a link in the description for uh, a place to buy the book. Um, but let let the, let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and let us know what else you're up to. Yeah. Um, so my, my work is at daniellesimonebrand.com. I do try to keep it updated, but I don't always. Um, I have a lot of podcasts and radio out there and a lot of interviews um, and a lot of articles too. And then you can also find me on Instagram at daniellesimonebrand or at weedmombook. We will put those links in the description. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Common Sense Mia. I've been your host, Will Reed. We'll see you next time. Bye. 